Now this morning I want us to look at Psalm 12, which our brother David read for us. Now a psalm, of course, is a song or poem that the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, used in their private and public worship of God. Psalm 12 was written by the second king of Israel, King David, and it was written around 3,000 years ago. Now, we get straight right into this, because the key truth of Psalm 12 is very straightforward when you read it, and I'm sure you've read it many times. The key truth of Psalm 12 is that we must keep trusting God when evil is winning. We must keep trusting God when evil seems to be winning in our lives and particularly in this context, in the life of the nation. Now, I want us to learn this truth under three lessons, three lessons, and they're in front of you in your outline. The first lesson is straightforward. We see it in the first two verses in particular, and it is this. Sometimes evil seems to be winning. Sometimes evil seems to win in our lives. You know, King David begins his psalm with a cry of help to God. Why? Because he's looking at the nation, and it seems to him that true believers in the nation are vanished. Look at this one. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful are vanished from among the children of man. Now, a few years ago, a number of years ago, in fact, uh, a young man called James O'Kane attended a funeral in Kent, right? And the next thing he knew, he was in Amsterdam with 50 pounds in his pocket, his passport, and a pair of sandals. And according to James, he had no idea how he got there, right? But we know why he got there, right? James was too drunk. That is why he couldn't remember how he got to Amsterdam. Uh, he thought he was in Oppington and he woke up at Skippo, right? And his mother found out, of course, and his mother refused to pay for his flight back home. Uh, because according to her, she said, James had made his bed and had to lie in it. So what happened to James is that he spent three days in Amsterdam wandering around in his funeral suit and flip-flops, right? Eventually, um, he managed to get back here. Now, in some way, King David here is feeling like James did, but without the alcohol, right? Because David feels he has suddenly woken up in a different country. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful one have vanished (coughs) from among (coughs) the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering ribs, with flattening lips and a double heart, they speak. Brother David was able to read those words better than I'm trying to, trying to do them this morning. Why is David saying? What David is saying to God, this country is not the same. It's not the country I once knew. It has completely changed. It is becoming more evil every day. The faithful ones who steadfastly keep the law of God have disappeared, David is saying. I am struggling to find anyone who genuinely loves God from the heart. There are many people who say the right things, but there are very few who mean what they say. Relationships between people are broken down, says David. 
the young and old, rich and poor, male and female, government and people, they all lie to each other, says David. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And I know, says David, this is not just a mouth issue. We have become like this because I know our hearts, our inner self is corrupted with sin. At the root of, of this evil in our society, says David, is that we do not respect the God who created us. People are arrogant towards the Lord. Look at verse 3 to 4. May the Lord cut off the flattering lips again, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? David is saying, what is David saying? David is saying, I'm living among people whose inner hearts are so rotten and corrupted by sin, they are raising a fist against God every day. They are proud. They don't care for God. They believe they are masters of their own destiny. These people worship their own strength instead of God. They are the arrogant at heart. And towards the end of the psalm, we see why David is deeply concerned about this. About this moral decay in the nation. Why it bothers him. And the reason is in verse 8. The reason is that the godless are hunting down the people of God. Look at verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. David is saying to God, it is not simply that these people hate you. You don't need our protection. You are God. It's not simply that these people hate you. It is that they hate those who love you. They want us cancelled from the land, says David. They are hunting after the faithful like a hungry lion. That's the picture of verse 8. They are not just out to treat us as second-class citizens. They would rather we didn't exist. And if I'm honest, says David... It looks like they are winning. Because of course he ends, he ends this psalm on verse 8 with the ascendance of the wicked. On every side the wicked proud, as violence is exalted among the children of man. David is indicating it looks like they are winning. We are helpless against them, says David. We feel surrounded, completely hemmed in by the wicked. David is saying... There is a spiritual zombie apocalypse in the land, and the spiritual evil dead are winning. The godly are losing, and this really hurts. That's why David starts off this psalm by crying out to God, Save our Lord, for the godly one is gone. That is very interesting as we look at this psalm, because when we come to the psalm, it's sometimes good for us to ask, in fact, it's always good for us to ask, what is the context of this psalm? Sometimes that's very helpful. Psalm 23 helps us, doesn't it? To know the context of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We think of David and his shepherd days. Now, the interesting thing about this psalm is that we don't know when David wrote Psalm 12. Maybe it was when his own son, Absalom, had seduced Israel, do you remember? With lies and chased his own dad from the throne of Israel. Or maybe it was during a peaceful time. During the prosperous reign of David, one of the most prosperous reigns in Israel, apart from Solomon's reign, 
the nation was doing well economically and politically when David was on the throne. But perhaps David felt that they were not thriving spiritually. He looked around and saw that the hearts of many had grown cold. Spiritually, the nation had backslidden. No one truly sought after God. And so then David cries out, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. We don't know the context. We don't know. God has left the context ambiguous. And I think that's for a reason, isn't it? I think it's there to teach us that all people of God sometimes experience this. Sometimes people of God feel like evil is winning. Because on the surface, evil looks to be winning. And in Psalm 12, the context is national evil. And I've restricted really my, 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 my sermon this morning to that national context. But keep in mind that the truths we are looking at also apply in our individual lives. The context here is national evil. We should always work from the context direct to the application. So it's national, so it's going to have a national sermon, right? It's about those times when we see evil is winning in our society. And some of us are looking around our nation today, and we feel the same way as King David did. In every area of our society, it seems that evil is winning. You know, the Christian presence in this country goes all the way back to the second century. Second century. Think about that. It is beyond dispute that Christianity has shaped Great Britain for good, for better. You know, before the Bible came to these lands, this was a pagan Westland. People worshipped idols in this land. They were without God and without hope in the world in the second century. But over time, the word of God has had a civilizing influence over this land. Not just starting here and reaching out to other parts of Europe and indeed around the world. All the legal freedoms we enjoy, all the social, political, educational, and economic successes we enjoy today are as a direct result of the powerful civilizing influence of the Bible in this land. And I'm not the only one saying that. Matt Holland, Tom Holland, in his book Dominion, an agnostic big book, recently has written about this very thing. There's a greater realization throughout, even among non-believers that it is the Christian heritage that has shaped this nation. But we look around now and we see that Britain no longer fears the God of the Bible. The fear of God has been replaced with the fear of sinful men. We see throughout the land that the land is going back to immorality, the immorality it enjoyed during its days of paganism and idolatry. You know, there's nothing new about the trends we are seeing in our society today. It's simply a return to the time when, before the Bible arrived here. The country has shockingly rejected its wonderful Christian heritage. It is hard to believe, but it is really true, that the lunatics have indeed really taken over the asylum. Everywhere we look, there is moral chaos in our land. Evil is winning. Evil is winning in our government. The public 
and political leadership in this land is pro-sin. Government after government continues to pursue laws that are making it harder for believers to live out our faith in this land. Preachers are being routinely arrested now. You have to think carefully before you preach on the streets now. You have to say the right thing. You pronounce a gender wrong, perhaps you misdo that, you go to prison, you have to fight that out. You can pray now outside abortion centers. There is clearly an organized attack by our politicians on the sanctity of life in this nation. A clear, more immoral agenda is afoot to destroy the biblical family in our land. So evil is winning in our politics. Evil is winning in our health system as well. Our national health policy champions abortions. DIY abortions now. Sex changes. Three parent babies. And the list just goes on. Evil is winning in our justice system. Sexual predators are no longer being punished. Police officers themselves have become predators in the land. And that is before we turn to our prison system. Many of our prisons now, as I found out speaking to a lady who's doing ministry, are nothing more than production camps for rising homosexuality at an unprecedented scale. One lady told me before she started doing evangelism in prisons a few years back, the one in 10 women in a prison who are homosexuals. Now it's 50%. Evil is winning also in our education system. Our society is no longer satisfied with telling our children that they are nothing more than evolved monkeys. That's not enough. We're now seeing children being increasingly sexualized. They are taught that gender is fluid. Sexual love breaks all barriers, including age. What shame. What shame. Evil is winning in our media industry as well. The media in this country is decidedly anti-Christian. They don't just sense the true Christians, they promote sin. You know, for many TV and newspapers, sin is just a mistake or psychological problem of sorts. The truth of the existence of the devil is now laughed at and scorned. Incidentally, as I think about the media, the modus operandi of the media seems to be very simple. They recast an inner sin as a psychological issue. They say, that's not a sin, that's just a problem of psychology. And then they normalize that sin. And then after that, the media works very hard to get the British public to not only accept the sin, but to celebrate the sin. And they do this with saturated coverage. This is a trend that abortion took. It's a trend that homosexuality has taken. It's a trend that gender by choice is taking. And who knows when they're going to stop? It just carries on. The media don't simply want us to accept moral depravity in this country. We are meant to celebrate it. And if you don't do it, of course, you are not a safe space. It's not safe to be here because you don't celebrate sin. Evil is also winning in our entertainment industry, isn't it? The level of pornography that fills our TV sets and Online streaming is truly shocking. You know, it's impossible now for you to watch an average box set on Netflix with a 12 rating plus without coming across pornography in some sort. And that is just the beginning, isn't it? From games to music, 
There is a deep love and fascination with the demonic and all sorts of moral perversions. Evil is winning in the land, it seems. Evil, sadly, is also winning in our churches. In fact, you could even argue that the context of Psalm 12, really, is the Old Testament church. Evil is winning in our churches today. We are seeing church grouping after church grouping follow the way of the world. The latest, of course, is the Church of England, isn't it? Before that, it was the Baptist Union. Before that, the Methodist. Before that, the URC. And the list just goes on. Beloved, we need to take this issue seriously. We are seeing a great falling away. Evil is winning. And we should not be afraid to face this ugly truth. David wasn't. We should not be afraid to face this ugly truth that we are now living in a land that opposes God. David in Psalm 12 admits, and we should also do it. He says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful are vanished from among the children of man. We should take that in. We should let this truth really sink in. Because sooner or later, when a nation turns its back on God, it starts to hand down those who love the Lord Jesus. Verse 8 becomes a reality. And it is a reality at present to a degree. But it will get worse. It will get worse. And it's my responsibility as your pastor to put these facts before you. It should concern us. Because they say it is a near future for those who will remain true to the word of God in the West. On every side, the wicked prayer, as violence is exalted among the children of man. It should concern us that evil is winning in this nation because this nation has been so blessed by God. And because it's been so blessed by God, God cannot tolerate those who spit in his face. We know from the Bible that when a nation has been so blessed and it turns away from God, God inevitably brings it up, brings death and self-mutilation in that land. This is what happened with Sodom, with these natural blessings. This is what happened to Gibeah in Israel. A society where evil is winning, where humanity is worshipped, rather than God, in the end, loses is humanity. You know, John Stott said, sin is refusing to be human. Because sin by its nature seeks to undo the image of God in us. In the end, our rampant sin in this land is losing us our humanity as we become depraved in every way. It should concern us, beloved, that this in the what sort of society our children or our grandchildren will live in and die? I thought about this issue as I looked at my daughter. I'm thinking, this is a nation she's going to grow up in. A nation that opposes God. Much worse 10 years from now than it is at the moment. It should concern us, beloved. You love your children. You love your grandchildren. It should concern you. We are living in a nation suspended over the flames of hell. It is right that it concerns us that evil is winning in our nation. It is right that we admit that's the case. So that our hearts can be broken for this nation. So we can pray earnestly. Like David, save, O oh Lord. 
Because the response has to be a response of confidence in God, right? Not panic or despair. We must not panic or despair at the situation we're in. We must remember the bigger picture. Because we are true followers of Jesus, we are the new people of God in Christ. And our God has power to restrain evil for us. And that's the second truth we learn from David here. The first truth is sometimes evil seems to be winning, but that's not the full story. The full story is that God has power to restrain evil in our society. You know, a few years ago, I got onto the underground at St. James's Park. I used to work in London in those days, in central London, just outside St. James's Park. And as I got onto the train, you can catch the district or circle line. I think that day I caught the district line. As I got onto the district line, a Middle Eastern man started shouting at everyone in the train. He was shouting, he was swearing, he was shouting, death to America. Uh, death to the UK. It was at that time when there was a heightened security alert in the country. Even. And as I was on there, I felt powerless. People felt powerless. We've seen the TV pictures. And so one by one, from St. James's Park, others didn't even get on. Others immediately got on, got out. Right? Uh, they started filtering. I, I entered the train and I stayed, right? Feeling a little brave, right? And then we go to the next station, and quickly people are sort of leaving, right? Now, throughout these journeys, the longest time moving from one station to the next, right? I don't remember the precise station, but during that period, it felt like an eternity. I was very confused. I didn't know what to do. My mind was just all over the place. I was praying for safety, and halfway I'm thinking, I've got to perhaps get out. I've perhaps got to rush him, right? Or something like that. But then I said, no, I'm married. (laughs) I think I'll stay here, right? By God's grace, we go to Blackfriars, right? The police came. They arrested the man. But as I thought about that incident, I realized that when evil, there are moments in our lives when evil truly has a upper hand and we are left feeling helpless. Completely helpless. That's how I felt on that train. And David here is also feeling helpless here. But unlike me, I, I was feeling, David is not panicking, right? Because David remembers God is in charge. And we need to do that as well. Look at verse 3. If evil seems to be winning in your life, as it is in this nation, remember verse. Remember that God has power to restrain evil in our society. That's what David is getting at in verse 3. Look at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. David is declaring before all who are listening to his prayer, the one true God of Israel has power to stop the evildoers who are causing trouble. And in verse 5, God speaks back to David. Do you see that? It's in quotation marks because the Lord is speaking. Because he speaks back to, to David that to reassure him that he has power to defeat all the enemies of his people. Look at verse 5. Because the poor are planted, God is speaking. Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. God is saying to David, I am not blind to the evil and injustice that you are experiencing. 
And we need to hear that, especially for our own individual lives. But nationally, God is saying, I have seen it. And I will act to save the weak and the oppressed. I will protect the godly. God has power to restrain evil in our times. In our lives, David is saying. And the Bible is full of accounts of God restraining evil in the world. In many different types of circumstances. We could be here the whole day. But just a few examples. God restrained evil from corrupting Noah before the flood. So that he could preserve a remnant. He restrained, this is one of my favorite stories, two stories in the Bible. He restrained Abimelech and Pharaoh from taking Sarah away from Abraham. God restrained the evil of the new Pharaoh in Egypt who rose to power after Joseph died from wiping away the entire Jewish nation by killing boys. God restrained that and he did it through the women. God restrained the power of evil in the life of Daniel and his friends. There were several times when evil seems to be winning, but God intervened. We can think of Esther and Azexis. There are many. You, 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 I'm sure you've thought of a, your favorite, perhaps, biblical story of God restraining evil. We can go on, can't we? And the most wonderful thing, though, is this, is that this one true God of the Bible is our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, he has defeated evil already in our lives. We should look at evil as defeated evil. Because Christ has already defeated it. You see, the problem in our, of evil in our society is not just there is evil out there that sometimes seems to win over us. The problem is bigger than that. Evil sometimes seems to triumph in society because this world is under the power and dominion of the devil and it has been since sin entered the world. You see, God created us free from evil, but we turned against God, we sinned against God, and since then, the whole of the human race has now become slaves of the devil. But the good news of the Bible is that God put on our human flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died and he rose from death to defeat all evil for us. We looked at that last Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ has paid the punishment for our sin against God. And his resurrection has given us new life, free from the power of the evil one. As Paul says at Colossians, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The gospel declares that Jesus has broken the power of Satan forever. The dominion of Satan is defeated. So even now I've become defeated evil. And Jesus is freeing captives from Satan's domain. All who through repent of sin and surrender to Jesus are immediately delivered from the power of evil forever. If you have not repented and you're not truly trusting in Jesus, you are still under the power of Satan. Evil is winning in the land. Evil has won in your life. Because you have not yet repented and surrendered to Jesus. It's that serious. But if you have repented, 
You are now victorious in Christ. Christ has won the victory over Satan forever. Colossians 2 verse 15. He triumphed over them in the cross. And made a public spectacle of them. Now. This doesn't mean there is no more fighting for us. The war against evil has truly been won for us by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But while we are still alive in the world, our Lord Jesus, what is done? You say, why does God still allow evil to reign even though Jesus has defeated it? It's an act of grace. And here is the grace. The grace is this. Jesus has won the victory, right? But God is giving us the privilege to share, to revel in this victory. It's like, the devil is like a big bully, you see. He's been all arrested, beaten up, and he's handcuffed. And what we have been brought to do is to land some punches on him. He can't harm us. Like Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the lions there, they're under the shackle. That's the Christian's picture. So evil remains in the world so that we can live out the victory Christ has already won. Christ has left you in this world as the means through which he is now enforcing his victory through the spread of the gospel and through holy living until he comes. He's giving you the privilege of living the life of victory through him. He could take you straight to heaven by saying, look, enjoy what it means in the here and now to see the triumph over sin. This, of course, means that we still face opposition because even though the devil has lost, he has not yet been caged. He's still walking around, refusing to quit. Even though Christ has destroyed the power of evil in our lives, this world is still full of deadly landmines of sin. It is a legacy of a worn war. Even though Christ has ushered in the new kingdom of God, there is still the not yet part. We are still waiting for the new heavens, the new earth where righteousness dwells. And as long as we are still alive in this world, we will face evil in society. And yes, sometimes it will seem evil is winning, like it is in the UK today. But David here is reminding us, isn't it? We do not need to despair because the God of our Lord Jesus Christ has all the power to restrain this already defeated evil. That's the point. The big picture is that no matter how godless our society becomes, we are already victorious in Christ. And God will preserve us in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. That's the word of God, of course, in verse 6. But then this is the promise. You will guard us from this generation forever. No matter what happens, God will ensure that the most important thing in your life, your relationship with him, is preserved and kept forever. No matter what, how much evil this country gets, no matter how drunk with evil it gets, it won't stop us getting to heaven, we might say. It won't stop the purposes of God. As we sang in that hymn, Father, you are sovereign over all the affairs of man. All chance and change transcending, the hymn writer says. Supreme in time and space. God is sovereign. One day we shall see Jesus our God face to face. And we will live with the Savior we love. In the new heavens and the new earth. And God is sovereign over our children as well. He's sovereign over everything. 
Of course, there are responsibilities we have, but that's the big picture. We don't need to despair. And I, I said that not just for the nation, but also evil in our lives. Beloved, is evil, does evil look like it's winning in your life? Do not despair. God is sovereign. He has the power to restrain evil in our lives. Nothing can thwart his perfect plan. And because we know that is a big picture, well, we must face rising evil in our country and in our lives with full trust in God. This passage isn't just a God is sovereign, let me relax. No, 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 that's not a Christian. This is about infusing us with trust. David believes in the sovereignty of God, but notice there's vigor, there's active trust in God. The point is that now is not the time to slacken off. Now is not the time to doubt. Now is not the time to take God for granted even. We must be active in trusting God. We must keep looking to him. We must trust God for our nation. We must trust God for our families. We must trust God for our children. We must trust God for this church. And that is the final lesson David wants us to, to teach us here as we come to end this. First point. Sometimes evil seems to be winning. The good news is God has power to restrain evil in our lives. So how then should we respond? Well, the final point, and it's the main point of the psalm, really. We must keep trusting God when evil seems to be winning. This is a key thing David wants us to learn from this psalm. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. Your Lord will keep them. You will guide us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. You know, David simply put, he's, he's trusting God to keep him, even when evil seems to be having a few day. I just want to, I love this psalm because of the way it ends. It's different from other psalms. Other psalms end on good news. This ends on bad news. And that's the point, because we're meant to read verse 7 in the context of verse 8. David is sitting his full weight on God, even though his situation hasn't changed. And we need to do the same. We need to trust God now as we see evil winning in this society and in our lives. How do we do that? Well, by following the example of David. Three, way, three things we learn from David about trusting God. The Psalms are wonderful, aren't they? Because this is, this is wisdom literature. The Psalms not only teach us theological truths, the purpose of the Psalms is to take the truth of God and for us to be able, if you like, to practice it. Uh, it enables us to live out the truth by giving us practical wisdom. And there are three things that David teaches us in this psalm we learn from David about how we are to keep trusting in God when evil seems to be winning. Is evil winning in your individual life? Listen to these three truths. Keep this in mind and practice them. F three things. First, we learn from David that we must trust God without compromise. Trust God without compromise. David is godly. David is faithful. He is the godly one. He is the faithful one. And, but notice in this psalm, it seems everyone else is gone. The godly one is gone. The faithful are vanished from among the children of men. But what is David doing? Is he following along? No. David is standing firm. David is happy to stand alone for God. Even when no one is with him, he's standing for God. David is not compromising. And it's so important, beloved, we understand this. We can ask God to restrain evil in society if we are part of the problem. 
The church is struggling in this land because the church is part of the very evil it's trying to fight. It has become corrupted by sin. If we are people who are compromising with the world, we are not able to stand against evil in the world. Listen, beloved, God is not looking for people who are halfway in, halfway out. God is not looking for people who are seeking to tick boxes. If anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. God is looking for people who are wholeheartedly committed to him. Not people who are forever chasing the same thing that the world is chasing. Not people who, when you look at them, there will be no difference with how the world is living. Now, beloved, this morning, let us examine ourselves. Look at your own life. Are you part of the solution against sin, or are you part of the problem? Are you growing in putting sin to death, or are you backsliding? Some of us should come to verse 1 and say, Save our Lord, for the godly one is gone. We should look at our own lives and say, Lord, there was a time when I loved you. There was a time when I lived for you. But I look at my life now, the godly one has gone. I no longer pray as I used to. I no longer read the Bible as I used to. Lord, save me, oh Lord. Some of us must cry out to God like that. We must be honest with God that the godly one who used to be there in our lives is no longer there. We no longer have the same fire for evangelism we used to have. We no longer read the Bibles the way we used to have. We must plead before God earnestly and ask him, Lord, change me, transform me, renew me. Anyway, I need to serve my voice. I'll put a sermon this evening. But you get the point. You get the point. We must trust God without compromise. All the time, and especially in these evil times. Second thing, trust God through earnest prayer. This psalm is a prayer to God. Never forget that when you come to the psalm. It's a song. Never forget that. Sing it. But also pray it. It's a prayer to God. David is praying, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. David's first response to evil in society is not to moan about it, is not to tweet about it, is not to complain about it. David's first response is to pray. Is evil winning? Does evil look like it's winning in your life? Beloved, your first response must be to pray. Be a person of prayer. Follow David's call to pray. And I know this is not easy for us to do. I I don't find this easy to do. I struggle with prayer just as you do, I'm sure. Prayerlessness comes so easy to us. It is easy for us to moan about things in the country and in our lives and to talk to God about them. That's a fact. And so today as we come to this psalm, as we look at this psalm, just resolve to be a person of prayer. Repent of your prayerlessness. Learn from David to pray. Ask God to help you to pray. Pray that you can pray better. Resolve this morning to pray for the nation week in, week out. When was the last time you seriously prayed for this country? Honestly. Like literally, you said, I'm focusing today on praying for this nation. We don't do that, do we? And we must ask ourselves, how can we just let this nation 
so blessed by God that has enriched, I speak as an immigrant, that has enriched my life drowning in sin. How can we allow that? This wonderful Christian heritage. Yeah, we must be moved to cry out to God to, to change this nation. If you have been blessed by this nation as I have been blessed by it, you will see the need to pray for this nation. And the same is true for any area of our lives. When you see evil is winning, when you feel evil is winning, you must pray. Pray, what do I mean by pray? The acronym I use is PUSH, right? I've used it before, PUSH, right? Pray until something happens. That's PUSH. Pray until something happens. That's how we are meant to pray. We are meant to keep praying until something happens. And so the single most important thing you can do today is to really start praying. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray earnestly for this nation. Pray for your place of work. Pray for your boss. I used to enjoy praying for my boss. I used to have two bosses. It was wonderful just to pray for them every week. I pray to the boss. Right? Finally, trust God fueled by his word. So, trust God without compromise. Trust God through earnest prayer. And finally, trust God fueled by his word. That's the final thing we learn from David. King David in verse 4 expresses his trust in God, doesn't he? Look at verse 7 for a minute. Your Lord will keep them. You will guide us from this generation forever. David is saying that in the second part of verse 7, He's declaring God will guide us, will keep us, will garrison us. He will preserve us. He will preserve his people, right? What is David basing his trust on? Well, we have to read verse 5 to verse 7 again. The word of God in verse 5, God speaks. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And then David comments on the word of God in verse 6. The words of the Lord spoken in verse 5 are pure words like silver refined, perfect silver, in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, a number of perfection. But carry on, verse 7 says, you, O Lord, will keep them. You guide us from this generation forever. What I want you to see is that when he says them in the first part of verse 7, the them is referring to verse 6 and 5, right? It means the promise of verse 6. God will keep his word in verse 5. Because this is a pure word. David is saying to God, I trust your faithful word. You always keep your promises. David's trust in God is fueled by his knowledge of the word of God. He knows his Bible. And he trusts the Bible. And that's what we need to do. We need to know the Bible and we need to trust it. If you want to grow in trust in God in evil times, you must give yourself to know his holy word. What does that mean? What that means is that you must commit yourself radically to sit under the preaching of the word in this church morning and evening and midweek when the Bible study is happening. Because God by his design has purpose that this is for you here, this is what God has planned for you. He has gathered you to this local fellowship and he has given you this program. If you're in another church, it's a different program. But by his sovereign plan, he has brought you here. And he has said, this is the package. Chola, this is the package through which I will grow you. Morning and evening preaching. Midweek. Study it. Sit under it. 
And of course, read the Bible in your own time. You cannot grow in faith by your own design. You may have wished for a, for a different preacher. We all do. We mean, you may have wished for a different midweek teacher than Brother Fred. We all do. You may have wished that this church only had one service in the morning. We all do. But God, by his sovereign purpose and design, has given you the flood man he has given you. Me and Fred, more flood. He's all right. Uh, and he has given you morning and evening preaching. And he has given you midweek. And he has given you the women fellowship. The men fellowship. He has given you opportunities for one-to-one Bible study with someone. He has given you people in the church willing to get alongside you, to teach you, to, to work through the word of God with you. If you reject that, you cannot stand the evil times. No one can heal themselves by their own hand. You must use the means of grace God has given you. And of course, you must study the word in your own time as well. Faith comes by hearing, of course. But more broadly, faith grows by feeding on the living word of God. That's how we live in evil times. So then, to conclude... What have we learned in Psalm 12? Well, it has taught us those three things, isn't it? Sometimes evil seems to be winning. Truth number one. That's bleak. But there's good news. Truth number two. God has power to restrain evil in our society. The question is, if that is true, and it is true, how should we respond? Well, the answer is, truth number three. Keep trusting God when evil seems to be winning. And then we ask, how should we trust God? We're straightforward. Three things. This is a six-point sermon. Trust God without compromise. Trust God through earnest prayer. And trust God fueled by his word. Amen.